she could read the, the phone book. Not that they exist anymore, but he is a little sweetheart. He's a proper gobshite. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. He's an adorable gobshite. I just want to give a quick shout out to Claire and uh, Catherine's matching hand-knitted scarves. This is his revenge is best served cold face. <laughs> I wish it wasn't a podcast and you could do that face. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Happy Valley Season 3 Episode 2. My name's Adam Hemming and she's called me a drug-addled piss artist, but I'm trying not to take it personally. It's Grace Chapman. Well, dickheads are a fact of life. Anywhere you look, they'll be a dickhead. But, but Grace, there's, there's only two of us in the Zoom. You, you're looking at me. Look, if you don't know you're the dickhead, then you're the dickhead, aren't you? Yeah. If you can't see the dickhead in the room, it's probably you. <laughs> wow, what an episode. Some shell-shocking stuff in this, and a few dollops of exposition as well, but we'll get on, we'll get on to that. It picks up exactly where we left off with, it's Claire. It's your Claire. I called it. I had a bad feeling. I love that it picked off straight, literally the second after we broke, we were back in, which is just so clever. But yeah, I mean, Catherine's reaction was perfect, really. I mean, complete disbelief. Just completely reflecting what we as an audience were thinking at the same time. Again, we'll come on to this, but at various points in the episode, I was like, it can't actually be. There must be a workaround on this. It can't. It's not really Claire because it can't be right. But I, I think it is. And she was utterly shell shocked in that first moment, wasn't she? She was just like, "Why? Why?" And then, "How? How have they contacted each other?" But it turns out it's Claire with Neil and four visits in the last year, and another one happening this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? How? What am I going to do? And I think that's a Catherine that we very rarely see. You know, we know Catherine as someone who's pretty sure of her own mind and actually quite instinctive about how she acts. This whole situation just felt so unknown to her and like uncharted territory and she just did not know what to do. It was a real shock. And we also learn in this scene that Catherine doesn't live with Claire anymore. And I think we hadn't learned that maybe in the previous episode. I think that's an important detail. Right. Is it that distance between the sisters now, you know, they used to live with each other. They used to be such a strength for each other. And now they don't live together. I think, I think that's that's something very small, but I think it matters. Yeah, well, that relationship with Neil has obviously lasted seven more years since, you know, the end, end of the last season. So they're clearly quite close. And again, I think we see that throughout this episode. But Claire has, uh, sorry, Catherine has never liked that Neil. He's spineless. Yeah, and then, uh, well, she says he's spineless. He's the same as Claire. And then she just goes weak. Yeah. And that, that week was delivered with such, oh, it was almost like she had suddenly a very horrible taste in her mouth. It was perfectly done. And then just the final moment of, I might ask for this Saturday off. Oh, <laughs> and we're into the we're into the, the theme tune. They just do that. They do the opening of, of the episode so well. I mean, she was utterly devastated, wasn't she? And I, I, I mean, Sarah Lancashire in this episode particularly there's another moment I'm going to talk about later that I thought was just superb but she gives us everything without having to do too much you know what I mean she doesn't I mean I know she's doing incredible stuff but it's it's really small and subtle and brilliant mm-hmm. let's keep on this this tick then I kind of my notes I started separating my Ryan notes 
from my Catherine notes. So I might be a little bit all over the place here, but she has a conversation with Richard and he wonders whether it might be someone using their names. But Catherine points out it's coincided with when she's been at work and they've taken him to football. But she's not going to confront them. She's going to observe. And then Richard asks about the Erigakovsky murder because he's working on something. And I had to try and dredge it up from my memory, but I did remember he's a newspaper man, right? He's he's a local reporter type. So they arranged to meet for tea later on. Well, what I loved is that he says, what are you going to do to Catherine, as you said? And we're all like, yeah, like, Catherine, what are you going to do about this? And I guess most people would probably have a conversation with Claire or Neil about it and maybe confront them. But this is Catherine Kaywood. She goes, I'm going to watch them. I'm going to observe and I'm going to follow them. <laughs> it's utterly brilliant, I think, that she does, that she chooses to do that rather than just go jumping in with accusations flying and, and, a, and a big heated argument. So much of Catherine's like contradictions that make her so utterly brilliant is that you never know what she is first, if she's a copper first, granny first sister first and I think actually none of us are any anything first necessarily but you know the way she kind of decides what kind of Catherine she's going to be and it very much felt like she was like no I'm going to be Detective Catherine and I'm going to follow her out. Well let's just 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 sit with Richard and cover his little bit while we're we're here so it turns out he's been approached by a Guardian journalist who's doing a piece on organised crime and links with local government and we learn that the sleazy twat Darius Knezovich is standing for election to Bradford City Council. And there's a wonderful line of, of course, these days he behaves like butter wouldn't melt up his arse. <laughs> I should have come out of the blocks with that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of putting himself in the firing line, isn't he, Richard, with this whole stuff? It's She, she later warns him, I think, that it's going to be dangerous if he's digging around Darius Knezovich. This is similar to me as the, the prescription drugs versus heroin last episode. Is There's kind of some almost educational information being thrown our way by how criminal gangs operate and how they infiltrate local government. And then they get all of these contracts and then they skimp on the, uh, on the building works and they do all of this dodgy, dodgy stuff to earn their spondulos, whatever you call them. Spondulos, that's what you call them. Yeah. <laughs> Spondula? I can't remember. Anyway, their cash. What does she say? Uh, you know, anytime you're going to go looking for them, they're disappeared, winked up, fucked off. I think you're right. There was a bit of a like, this is what's going on in local communities with the gangs. In any other actor's hands, it might appear quite obvious what's going on. But I guess in Sarah Lancashire's masterclass, you're still just totally gripped. Like she could tell me, she could read the, the phone book, not that they exist anymore, but and I'd be gripped I'd be utterly gripped so yeah but I think the Richard thing I think we should be a bit worried about Richard definitely I think there's gonna that that is going to play out isn't it and I think there's gonna have to be some sort of rescue operation for Richard or he might even come to a sticky end I mean I was thinking are we worried for Catherine Kaywood's life in that we think this is the final season right This is the final season. That's what they're saying. So, and it hadn't really crossed my mind that we could be worried about Catherine until last week when I saw something on social media. It was like, it might not end well for Catherine. And it turned out that article wasn't really bad. But they, you know what? They could start to lead us that way. Yeah. But who would ever, the only, who would get Catherine in the end? I mean, only Tommy, right? 
Yeah, would have to be Tommy. Absolutely. Let's park that for now. I, I, I very much hope they don't. I think it's it's sometimes with these things, it's nice to leave the main character still alive at the end. I want her driving off to the Himalayas and I won't be happy unless it's that. 100%. So this whole conversation comes out of this storyline about a lass coming out of a window. I was quite confused about this when they first started this sequence because I was like, Are we, is this something we're supposed to have heard about before? Because I don't think I can remember it. But whilst they're doing this sort of door-to-door stuff, Catherine spots Alison, played by Susan Lynch from season two. I can't remember everything about this storyline, but she ends up shooting her son in the back of the head, right? Because he's done something bad. He has done something bad, Adam. Yes, he's killed, uh, I believe, three women and mutilated them. He basically was essentially the killer of season two. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if there lots of the, there were some sex workers who were killed. He was quite a like isolated figure. In fact, they both were up in that farm, and he kind of laid low for a long time. But then he admitted it to his mum, and then oh yeah, it's a chilling scene where. She talks about all the things he'd like to do. And he's like, I could go to America. And then she shoots him in the back of the head. Yeah. The thing about that scene in season two is, and then there's a bit of chat between Alison and Catherine after that. But uh, Catherine goes and arrests Alison. And it's actually a really tender, sweet arrest. She's holding her and she kisses her on the forehead and she arrests her. And I think what we gather from that is that these women have both lost children or adult children. And I think that probably bond you for life. That was a note I made with parallels with, with the, her own heartbreaking story and Catherine's situation and the, the loss of the adult child, but also the fact that Catherine's just discovered she doesn't know what's going on with Ryan, right? And and clearly Alison had no idea what was happening with her own with her own son. So someone who could really appreciate sort of what Catherine's going through and we learn later on that Catherine confides in Alison about all of the Claire stuff which is great because it just made me feel really happy that she had someone to talk to (laughs) yeah I think this is a really interesting really lovely relationship that I hope to see build and grow through season three I mean we've lost we've had Joyce just once in episode one I hope this isn't a Joyce replacement obviously they do different things for Catherine I've always liked Alison as a character and I'm really happy to see her back and I'm happy she's on the straight and narrow with that dodgy jeep yeah she's she's learned how to do highlights and drive a forklift truck but I love that don't ask me to do your hair you'll regret it but if you need someone to drive a forklift truck I am there and it's great that Catherine sets her up with a, an interview with Neverson Gallagher. But it's it's Alison's van that Catherine borrows so that she can follow Claire and Neil incognito. Now, the double declutching stuff. Did you understand this? No. I mean, I haven't driven a, a gear in a long time. So this went right over my head. Yes. Well, I famously failed my driving test when I was 18 and never took it again. So I was... Oh, I didn't know that about you. Yeah, yeah. Baffled by all of this stuff. But presumably... There is the potential for something with that van to go wrong at some point. And it didn't happen in this episode, but I wonder whether there will be a key moment when the double declutching comes back to haunt Catherine Kaywood. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's a great shout. I mean, I was just like, are we just going to get some badass Catherine driving? Is she going to like nail a handbrake turn and park? But no. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk then about Ryan and... Well, Ryan versus 
Mr. Hepworth really is the key conflict, I think, in this. Well, there's so many conflicts in this episode, but one of one of the key conflicts. So uh, Ryan and Chesco's bikes have been chained together. What a dick move. Such a childish move, isn't it? It's literally like he's in the playground with them. And I'm, one thing I thought was like he's sort of going under the radar with his punishments a little bit, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, it was quite clever, but he tries to put them in detention and Chesco admits that he was the one who shouted it out and he's willing to do the punishment. But Hepworth wants Ryan to do detention as well. This turns into an argument which escalates. Uh, there's some brilliant lines from Ryan in this. I mean, piss off you twat. And I was like, where do you think you learned that sort of language? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I learned it from my granny. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the shittest football team I've ever seen. I know. You know what? This football team really reminds me of when I was at school. The boys were all in a team called Summertown Stars. And every weekend on a Monday, I'd be like, how did it go, guys? They'd be like, yeah, pretty good, to be honest. 7-0 to them. But it was a good game. Not double figures, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was like. I just love that little detail. It really, it's so brilliant. Well, yeah, because Hepworth basically tells him he's off the team. Chesco points out it's the only thing he's any good at. which is again a really sad sad indictment of Ryan's skills but he he leaves telling him to swivel and then goes ballistic at home right I mean this is some serious anger management needed for Ryan because he's ripping his bedroom apart yeah he's not a happy bunny just repeating what have I done what have I done which is such a teenage boy blind and just just Claire down the stairs on the phone to Neil like I think he's oh no he's still kicking off that'll be the telly (laughs) and Neil saying I thought Neil had an interesting line of he hasn't threatened you has he which I just pulled out I was like oh that's a bit is that something Neil's worried about or has even thought about well, there's clearly him now coming of age and being the son of Tommy Lee Royce, like the nature versus nurture argument, isn't it? And he's the anger issues kind of point point to that nature side of things. And doesn't Tommy Lee Royce deny that he's done? Doesn't he deny that he murdered Kaywood's daughter? Wasn't that something he always said he hadn't done, or he'd been treated unfairly? No, yeah, he well, he didn't go down for that. He's never he's never been charged with with that because obviously she committed suicide right he's never been charged with the rape of becky kaywood which becky told catherine happened so he's always in catherine's mind never truly had any punishment for that which eventually led to becky's death i think ryan's ryan's anger issues are, are, are really well done and that is some rage i mean we didn't see any any of it but we heard it and he's doing such a brilliant job, isn't he? In this, I think again, I think he has some really lovely moments throughout this episode. The stuff that he's he's doing is not um, it's challenging, challenging stuff. I think for for a young lad, but yeah, doing an amazing job. Is it Reese Connor? I want to say is that his name? Has he been in anything else in the in the interim? I don't know that he has. Yeah, Reese Connor is the name of the actor, but yeah, I think he's he's absolutely brilliant, especially in this episode. So we next see Ryan and Claire when Catherine comes home. And they, they panic a bit because he's not in bed. There's definitely a kind of they're in it together sort of thing. Claire says she tidied his bedroom up and Catherine's quite sharp with her, isn't she? She's, to- she's pissed off. That's a good message. Trash the bedroom. Then Auntie Claire will tidy it up for you. Yeah, the tension in this scene was immediate, wasn't it? There's two moments. Well, there's, there's so many, but there's two moments I really, three moments I really loved. The first is obviously Ryan explaining yet again, you know, he's got this amazing way of explaining what happened, but I didn't start it. 
I didn't start it is literally Ryan's lifelong mantra. Even in seasons one and two, he was always like, it's not my fault. And that's just such a lovely character to pull through. And then I just adored it when Ryan said that Chesco shouted at Rob Hepworth, have you had your oats, sir? Claire let out this little giggle. (laughs) And then Catherine shot her a look. Yeah. Oh, God, that look. It would freeze you in your tracks, wouldn't it? But... I mean, Catherine just can't believe that these two people standing opposite her have done what she thinks they've done, right? Yeah, and that's it. She can't, she cannot soften towards them at all. Whereas I think with that sort of conversation in the past, she would have, you know, made a, a joke herself or something and joined in with the, with the banter. But she's just heartbroken and she can't get over what she suspects has happened or what she's been told has happened. And uh, she lets people walk home alone, which uh, seems like it's a, a thing that very rarely happens, if ever, because they're all Ryan's a bit taken aback by it, as is Claire. And also, you know, Catherine takes women's safety very seriously. So this is probably the start of, I imagine, many punishments. As Ryan says, who's rattled your cage, grandmother? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ryan, if only you knew. Now, I want to talk about the text. Claire texts her to say she's arrived home safely, and Catherine types uh but she uses a thumb emoji thumb up emoji and then puts a kiss after it and then deletes the kiss you know adam i i put kisses at the end of my text to you all the time and i delete them do you <laughs> well, my, my most used emoji is definitely the thumbs up emoji I, we were mentioning before we came on on air about how many emails we get the number of text messages and whatsapp messages and it's just like right i, I literally have nothing to say but good so the thumb goes out. In visual form. Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm also a big fan of the thumbs up emoji. Uh, I use it arguably too much. I love that in this in this context, it was the passive aggressive thumbs up emoji. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Ryan comes back down later on and he's kind of pushing it a bit, isn't he? Why are you in a funny mood? Um, but then it gets quite sweet because he asks, what will he do if she goes to the Himalayas? And she asks, what would you like to do? And he says, come with you. Oh, sweetheart. He is a little sweetheart. I think there's a lot of love between these two. And it's just lovely when it comes when it comes up. And this is where we get the wonderful Dickheads are a fact of life line. But also, I know, well, you would have picked up on this as well, but he says again, revenge is a dish best served cold. And then we cut to Tommy. I'm wondering if Tommy's said that to him. I mean, I think it's definitely a line of Tommy's that he's he's picked up on. And it's, they're kind of labouring this point now. I mean, it's once an episode so far, but it, it, particularly in this episode, I thought, yeah, OK, Tommy is planning his revenge on Catherine Kaywood. He's got a lot of thinking time. He's had seven years of thinking time to work something out. So I do I do fear that, that that's going to come into play and that Ryan is going to maybe play an unwitting part in it. Oh, um, just to finish that dickhead line off, so dickheads are a fact of life. Anywhere you look, there'll be a dickhead. The trick is to negotiate your way around them without me even realising that you think they are a dickhead. I mean, brilliant advice for life. And it reminded me of that scene in episode one where she goes to Rob Hepworth for the first time and basically negotiates around him without him knowing that she thinks he's a dickhead. Yeah, brilliantly, which again, she does later on in this episode. Tellingly, Catherine says, asks Ryan whether he wants to be on the team. And he says yes, because of course, those Saturdays are when he goes to visit Tommy Lee Royce. Of course. So maybe he doesn't really enjoy being on the team at all. <laughs> The shittest team he's ever seen. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then ironically, when Saturday comes, he's back on the team and she doesn't have to come along. At first, I wondered whether he was lying to her about being back on the team. But clearly he is lying to her about about the other stuff there's a nice line in the car of you must smell like a poker monkey's needing to douse yourself in chemicals like that this is post-match right Catherine's followed him to the match and watched from the van i love that it was neil who said you must smell like a poker monkey's i feel like neil's gonna come out with some quite strange phrases in this series and i'm here for all of them yeah he gets some brilliant lines and again con o'neill i'm a huge fan of his i think he's brilliant i'm watching him in our flag means death at the moment. And he's also in Uncle, which is the Nick Calm show. Did you ever see that? No, I never did. I don't know if it's still available on the iPlayer, but it's a really, really good comedy. And he plays a brilliant character in that. It's a great, uh, a great cast in that show. Very funny. Let's cover then the pursuit <laughs> of uh, Neil, Claire and Ryan in their car. So we get this. Sorry. You've missed a crucial scene, Adam. Are you all right? Wrong? The one where Catherine goes in, into the staff room. Oh, yes. She's called into the school. It was in my other notes. Sorry. I think it's my favourite scene in the episode. It's just so brilliant. I mean, first of all, she arrives at the school and she's immediately looking for what Ryan could have done wrong. And she finds this, you know, the the tyre that's been let out. And then the, is it I Love Cock that he's written? Yeah, I didn't make a note of it. There's something like that. There's a cock and ball's been drawn. <laughs> Uh, which I just absolutely love. And then she meets Ryan in the corridor and he's, you know, got his tail between his legs a little bit. And But he can't help but chat back to his granny, can he? He's a proper gobshite. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. He just can't help himself. He just can't help himself giving the lip. He's an adorable gobshite. He has his moments, definitely. I mean, he wasn't so adorable when he was trashing his room and terrifying his great aunt. But... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> But he says to her about the taser, he goes, they let you loose with one of them. And she's like, yeah, why? And he's like, well, aren't you, aren't you well old or something? And it's just like, Ryan, show some respect. Absolutely. One of my favourite moments of the episode was when she then walks into the office and and Rob Hepworth's face as he sees her is just perfect. He's so good in this moment. Well, as she says later, his undercarriage fell off. Yeah. And you could almost hear it falling off. That's how good it was. I thought he was really, really superb in this. Yeah, brilliant. There were so many amazing moments in this scene, but, you know, she's immediately, what's the charge? So we get Copper Catherine, but also Granny, which I just love. And she basically questions Ryan on their behalf, doesn't she? And then she frisks him. And the finding <laughs> of the lighter was just so brilliant. Such a great detail of their relationship. What's so brilliant about it is that she's, you know, she's essentially treating him like a criminal. You've accused this young boy of doing something. I'm a police officer. I'll treat him like a criminal. And there's no sort of tenderness or affection, or but there's also no sort of kind of animosity. It's like procedural almost in the way that she's doing it. But it shows them she's taking it very, very seriously. So that when she then defends him by asking for the evidence, again, which she does in such a calm procedural way, it's just perfect. She owns owns him for the second time in two episodes, brilliantly. And all he's got left to say is, well, someone's done it. <laughs> oh, God. And then the little moment of when she goes to him, did you drive on the curb? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if we were going to get to this point later on, but there is a moment, and I just spotted it a tiny amount, but Catherine drives on the curb. Oh, no, I didn't see that. <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, the swiping of the lighter at the end, like... 
this is confiscated. This is, you know, this isn't coming back. This is going to the evidence room. They mentioned that it was weird because normally the head wouldn't, without any evidence, wouldn't have called her in, right? And Ryan suggests that Hepworth did it himself. And we'll come on to talking about what Joanna reveals later on. But I do, th- I, I do wonder whether that is the case, whether he did actually do it himself. Yeah, very possibly, you know, yeah. trying to basically frame a young lad. And we obviously say later on, find out some of the really psychopathic reasons for that. It was not in the scene, but the final line of this moment when they're walking down the corridor and he's like, I didn't do it. And she's like, I know, <laughs> I can't even get it out. And he says, and she goes, I've seen how you draw a cock and balls when we play picture consequences. It's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. What do you understand picture consequences to be? So I understand it to be, you know, when you have like an A4 sheet of paper and you fold it numerous times and someone does the feet and then you send it to the left and then you get to do like the calves and then you send it around the te- round and then you unfold it and you've got like a crazy looking person. Yeah, absolutely. I think we normally start with the head and draw the head and then the neck. You leave the neck out so that the next person can draw the body from the neck and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Great stuff. You've got to get um, the neck over the fold. I'm going to play it with the kids and we'll post on the socials some of the, the people we create. I'm hoping they won't just... draw cock and balls on them though. But just the idea that no matter what, Ryan will draw a cock and balls. <laughs> Even if he's drawing the head. Dickheads, you've got to look out for them. Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> and just after that scene as well, there's a really lovely moment because she's texting Claire right in the car park of the school. The music in this scene is is gorgeous. Really, really beautiful stuff. And I'm just thinking in my head at that point, I was still like, it can't be Claire. There must be another ex- explanation. I was like, is it all staged and it's not really Ryan? Like, we don't know it, that Ryan gave him that photo, but maybe he's done, you know, this is all part of Tommy Lee Royce's plan. This next sequence where Catherine follows them does put the nail in that coffin, right? Very much so, yeah. As, as she's following them in the car, we get this shot of Catherine Kaywood's face, and then we see that they don't turn off to Leeds. And then we go back to Catherine Kaywood's face, and there's such an imperceptible change in her expression. But it is, it's heartbreaking. It's a really, really tiny moment. It's just such wonderful, wonderful stuff. Neil and Ryan get out of the car, Claire parks and goes to a coffee shop. You know, what I was hoping for, like you, Adam, I just couldn't believe it. I, I was I was praying for an alternative. And what I thought maybe was going to happen was that Claire was going to drive them to the shopping centre drop them off and then it would only have been Neil who got them in and she wouldn't have known but as soon as I saw them pulling up to that prison front gate I just thought there's nowhere else we can go here. I was even like going through my head of what else might Ryan be up to in secret that (laughs) is it is you know is it something like ballet or is he you know is he a a porn star for (laughs) something I don't know no that would be going too far but like something that he couldn't tell Catherine that he was doing and that they were going off to do. I do think it's interesting that Claire doesn't go in. That's almost like she'll take them to the door, but she will not take him in. Not even she can sit in front of Tommy Lee Royce. That's almost her line, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's interesting, isn't it, that the records, the visitation records, say a man and a woman, and that her name has been on that. Whether it's because they needed to have a relative of Ryan's and Neil's not a, not a relative, so maybe that was why that name had to be on the visitation thing. I don't know. It was a little confusing for me as to, as to why we knew it was a man and woman and we knew it was Claire, but she never actually went in. Okay, let's get to the 
the phone conversation then. So Catherine follows Claire to the coffee shop and she calls her from outside and Claire lies about where she is. She says she keeps going with the slide that she's in Leeds when Catherine's there in Sheffield with her. There was a brilliant line, and again, this call back something you mentioned in the last episode, but they're talking about Hepworth. He was surprised that Ryan's little granny turned up dressed like Robocop. I think it was a nice little callback to something that not many people would have known about, right? Unless they'd read that read the screenplay of that first episode. But it's so heartbreaking when she keeps lying to her, right? And it's heartbreaking for Claire. It's not easy, this. You know, as soon as she sees Catherine's name come up on her phone, she's like, shit. It was the pauses in the conversation for Siobhan Inneran. I mean, yeah, the, the pauses in that call where she just didn't quite know what to say. I adored how small talk it was when actually it was a huge moment. And that contrast just made it even better. And it was interesting, I thought, just the decision for her to be outside, like Catherine's on the outside of the situation, looking in was really lovely and I wondered what was going to happen at the end but she walks in and sits down and that's the end of the episode and I will put money on us picking up again immediately where we left off in episode three I hope so she just sits down with a hire and I think never has there been a more loaded hire in the history of television (laughs) I mean I hope it will be in a way a relief for Claire to get this all out in the open but I don't know. I don't know whether Catherine's going to ever be able to forgive her or whether, you know, that's going to be resolved in a in a speedy way. I think that's probably going to be something that's going to hang on for a while. I mean, what do we think has actually happened here? We know the basics, right? But to echo Catherine's first word of this, the episode, why? Why has Claire done this? And I've just been, I guess, just trying to think about that a little bit. And it's so hard. We just have to wait to hear from Claire, I guess. But... Yeah, I mean, I could speculate and I wonder I wonder whether she, you know, they are communicating with each other somehow. We know that Ryan wrote to Tommy Lee Royce and I wonder whether Claire found out about that and then was like, well, rather than tell Catherine and make this a whole thing and cause pain and tension for her, I'll try and deal with this by taking him along to see Tommy Lee Royce and seeing him for who he really is and that sort of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, that's nice. I wonder if, uh, yeah, like Ryan came to her in confidence and I wonder if she said, I'll take you once and once only. But once you've opened that Pandora's box, I just want to give a quick shout out to Claire and uh, Catherine's matching hand-knitted scarves. (laughs) And I'm wondering if they were a departing gift from Winnie before she died or she was picked up by the Knezoviches. Hashtag where is Winnie? <laughs> we need to know. I what I loved about this whole thing was that, you know, we were left wondering at the end of the last episode. And we'd find out straight away. You know, we're bang, we're straight in there. And and it's the way that the storytelling is just moves on at a pace. It's so well crafted, I think, in that way. She's got just the right amount of story to tell for each episode. Yeah, I think Sally Wainwright is confident in that this is a big story and we're gonna we're gonna get through it. And that's so much more interesting than a writer who's like, oh, I kind of want to draw this out a little bit because I don't have much story. Let's move on then quickly to sort of Farmer Fies. Two two or three other little storylines alongside this main one of this episode. But Farmer Fies, Faisal Batty, the pharmacist and Joanna. It's kind of a lot about their relationship and interactions all the way throughout the episode. 
Faisal is worried about money. He's got to give more money to the wrong-uns that he's dealing with. He's got a wife and teenage girls who enjoy dancing. And his wife wants a new decking. But all the way throughout this, and it keeps cropping up, the daughter wants driving lessons. There's money, you know, money, 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 money is, is kind of his whole thing. But the interesting thing for me about this was the conversation with Joanna about Hepworth. Joanna's talking about getting out with the girls. Maybe this inspired by Catherine Kaywood, she's realised she needs to make a change. And that Hepworth has this whole thing about knocking lads down and building them up again. My question is, do you think it's a weird sort of grooming thing? Or is it just an ego thing of him wanting to be the positive person in young lads' lives? Joanna says, and then God knows what. So she says she he knocks them down, builds them up again, and then God knows what. Usually kids that don't have proper parenting at home. So it did make me think whether it's some sort of grooming. And if it is, maybe for a criminal organisation, possibly, that is paying him to groom these young boys to then do illegal activities. I don't know. Yeah, it's very, it's very odd. I thought maybe ego or saviour complex, something like yeah. that. But knowing Happy Valley, it will be darker than that. Mm. And all I can say is I'm worried for Chesco. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant. The sort of result of all of this is that during this process, he takes all of his frustrations out on Joanna. And again, we get a scene where he comes home and she's making a pie. There's like this almost maybe a little bit of bipolar stuff going on with Joanna and that she was quite happy and high whilst making the pie. You know, obviously has times when she struggles as well. I'm not I'm not cod diagnosing her mental health problems at all. My point was, la la la. Oh, the coat. Poppy's still got a coat on. She's still got a coat on and it's heartbreaking. Also, the, the sound of the video game over the noise of him potentially beating his wife was just so chilling you didn't have to see it you we'd already seen it last episode but oh yeah shivers down the spine very glad we didn't see it again and you're right it wasn't it wasn't necessary another heartbreaking line obviously why doesn't daddy like you which poppy asks at the dinner table yeah and i think that's a real moment for joanna in that the girls are picking up on it they really are you know and for her that's almost she needs to get out so that's when she goes to see Farmer Fies, isn't she, in the cafe. Quite a long conversation about him offering to buy her a flat. There's quite a lot they cover in a short space of time. And then I think crucially, she reveals that she's been thinking about killing Rob. There's two, I mean, there's two separate scenes. So there's the, the first one where they're having a conversation and she brings up the flat. So I, we're led to infer that post-sex, Faisal said, oh, one day I'll buy you a flat. I'm going to invest in some property and, and all the rest of it. And then you can get away from him and stuff. And she's held him to that. We learn that Faisal's wife's dad owns the pharmacy and that he and his sister-in-law manage the two that he owns. And Joanna says, I don't want to make threats, but there's <laughs> <laughs> a threat. If you don't buy me a flat, I'm going to tell the police that it was you I got my drugs from. So she's putting him in an awkward position. What I loved in the cafe scene, as well as all the conversations about killing Rob, yes, please, was that Faisal told her about his problems. He, he had a little share of like, a, you know, I'm being blackmailed by these thugs. And that's why I can't help you right now. Joanna wants Faisal's help to kill Rob. Mm, that's it, isn't it? She's basically like, perhaps you could help me with that instead of the flat. He's like, I didn't even offer the flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got myself into this situation. But I also like the way they both talk themselves out of going to the police. She's like, they're not going to believe me about him being a coercive controller. And he's almost like, they're not going to believe me about me being blackmailed. And I can't anyway, because of X, Y, Z. So, because often with like crime dramas, your immediate thought is, 
just go to the police. Yeah. <laughs> so it's useful for characters to talk themselves out of that. Every, I mean, everyone's got something they need, right? And then it's, they're almost obstacles in each other's way. And that's what makes the, the conflict in this show so brilliant, I think. He, he tries, Farmer Fies, I did start to feel a little bit sorry for him. He tries to share his problems again later on, this time with the thug. who's getting married, which is nice for him. <laughs> but the thug just tells him to deal with it. I don't know what he was playing at with the fake son to hear. He tells him he's got a son as well. Have you been following him? I'd like to know what he's up to. I, I had the same question. Why did so? The only thing I could think of was that he was trying to throw them off the scent of his daughters. Yeah, what? Well, and pin it on this other kid. He'd be like, can you follow to here? And they're like, spend ages looking for to here, and they can't find it. I mean, look. I mean, it's really. I mean, it's. A, it was never going to work, was it? That's the thing. It's. It's not exactly watertight. That is it. They're like, well, you don't have a son. I mean, I did wonder whether they were checking that they actually knew about his daughters and his family, really, or whether it was just something that they'd said. But I don't know. It was it was an odd moment, definitely. And then uh, this wonderful villain says the line about, I will prove to you that I know your daughters better than you do, especially the eldest one. And then he sucks his teeth. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great nope. at all. Nope. He, he does tell him to deal with both of them, right? Deal with both Hepworth and Joanna. So I wonder whether Faisal's going to try something drastic, maybe help Joanna kill Rob and then find a way to kill Joanna. Does he have it in him, though? I mean, uh, she did show some tips, didn't she, about the ketamine and the blood in the, the air in the vein. She did give him some top tips. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other quick bits then. We, we see Tommy Lee Royce on canteen duty. A nasty moment where he forgives the chaplain, the prison chaplain, for grassing him up. I mean, that's just spooky, spooky Tommy Lee Royce. That chaplain's for the chop, I'm telling you now. Yeah. But there's a staged fight in the canteen, which feels like it's cued by Tommy Lee Royce. And I, initially I thought this was to hide drugs, but it turns out it's a tiny, tiny phone. So tiny. And he gets a text about presents for Ryan. It's something like Rico's news agent's great presents for Ryan. Yeah, and who's that? I mean, what's who? I mean, what to quote Catherine, why, how? Who is this person? I, I imagine it's some sort of code, but what it's for... I don't know. I'm sure we will find out. Uh, he's very happy about it. This is his revenge is best served cold face. <laughs> Wish it wasn't a podcast and you could do that face. <laughs> but the final one I wanted to talk about was the conversation between Shaf and Anne, who I'm renaming Exposition. Yes, please. Because her dialogue was so like, oh, did you hear I, my interview went really well and I'm going to be a, on CID attachment for the next six months, starting next week, by the way. And Chef's like, oh, did you hear that I am going to be replacing Catherine, by the way? <laughs> OK, we've got everyone's career. We understand. Thank you. But we did get a little bit of an insight into what Chef's style is going to be as a sergeant because he criticises her for tiddling about on her phone when she was meant to be interfacing with a member of the public. Interfacing. <laughs> Great stuff. Really, really good stuff. Thank you, Happy Valley. Thank you. Yeah, well, we'll be back next week to talk about that. But before we go, Grace, have you been watching anything else? Nothing. No, I'm really struggling to to get to, to watch any more telly. What have you been watching, Adam? I have been pretty heavily into Fear the Walking Dead. I've also had quite a bit of work on, so I've got a shorter list than normal. Well, no, I wanted to ask you first out the blocks, uh, how's the rig? So the rig, okay. Well, it's, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. 
What the rig does well, the rig is the is the prime video show starring Ian Glenn, Emily Hampshire, Martin Compton. It's a really, really great, brilliant cast. And it's a horror set on an oil rig. There's some environmental stuff going on. There's some sort of seemingly supernatural stuff happening in there as well. And I think it does a good job of all the horror stuff. I think that's all really well done, and I'm enjoying that element of it. There's some really, really dicey dialogue, especially in the first episode. And the narrative thrusts are kind of, perhaps, yeah, maybe haven't been properly dramaturgically checked through in a convincing way. I think sort of regular troublemaker Owen Teal suffers the worst, which is really sad as he's really brilliant in that sort of a role. But Emily Hampshire... She also feels a bit like she's on the wrong show. Really? And it's it's really sad to see. I feel like she's better off in the creek than on a rig in the middle of the ocean. Martin Copson, Mark Bonner, and, and particularly Ian Glenn do much better with that dialogue. And it's a strong ensemble cast overall. But yeah, it's, a, it's just a bit disappointing. I know Damo got through an episode and a half and he's given up. Um, I got through the second episode and I think I'm going to watch the next one and keep with it because I am enjoying that sort of horror stuff and it is more my bag than it is demos I finished Stonehouse which I mentioned last week Keely Hawes I think superb in this Matthew McFadden is perfect casting for the role which is this kind of pompous egocentric bumbling yet somehow vaguely charming Labour MP but I think Keely Hawes is is the winner of that show you know she is superb in that as his long-suffering wife it's kind of a six out of ten shows what I'd give Stonehouse overall, but three episodes on ITVX and, and an enjoyable watch. I think if you're looking for a man tries to fake his own death show, you're better off watching The Man, His Wife and the Canoe from last year. Good. Good to know which of those genres it's better to watch. Yeah. <laughs> if you're looking specifically for that man fakes his own death show, this is the <laughs> one to go for. I finished Tree Detective season one which I've been watching and uh, haven't got much more to say on that. But what I love about watching these older shows is seeing the actors who you've then seen subsequently in, in later stuff. So Alexandra Daddario from the first season of White Lotus plays his first affair in uh, True Detective. Shay Wiggum and Glenn Fleshler from Boardwalk Empire. Again, really, really brilliantly cast in True Detective. And then Anne Dowd from, you know, The Leftovers and Handmaid's Tale. And yeah, it was great to see all of those people. And, and obviously True Detective is a fantastic show. Our Flag Means Death is the other new show that I've started, which is the comedy, pirate comedy with Reese Darby. Uh, this is the show that Con O'Neill is in. He plays a sort of rival pirate and there's a really nice dynamic between him and Reese Darby. I'm about to meet Taika Waititi, I think, in the next episode. Uh, but it's also got Ewan Bremner in it and Christian Nairn, who was Hodor in Game of Thrones. He's in it as well as a pirate, which is brilliant. Joel Fry, I think, is another one. I'm enjoying it. It's really, really good, really funny, comedic pirates. He please, He's a gentleman pirate, so he's basically not very good at general pirate stuff, but tries to lead his crew in a, in a gentlemanly fashion. A couple of other quick ones. Uh, on the recommendation of Matthew Jameson, I started watching a few of episodes of The Twilight Zone. It's a it's on Sky and Now TV. It's about to disappear off Now TV in the next three weeks, I think. But I watched uh, 
three episodes so far. The first one was with Kamal Nanjiani, who's about to be in Welcome to the Chippendales on Netflix. Uh, there was one with Adam Scott, who was also brilliant in Severance, and Sana Lathan, who was in Succession in the last season. Really enjoying those. They're, they're kind of what you'd expect. Um, it's an anthology series of unexpected mm-hmm. tales. And then the final one I want to talk about, again, I haven't got much to add on it, but is The Servant, which I'm still watching on Apple TV+, Plus because... The fourth season of that is coming out on the 13th of January. So I'm running out of time to get my way through the first three, but I am still really enjoying it. It reminded me actually that I have obviously carrying on on my Better Call Saul quest and I'm almost at the end of season three and I've just had that amazing episode where Kim has that car crash because she's overworked. Jimmy manages to get the sandpiper payout, whether he does or not. Let's see. But it was a great episode. So, yeah, I for- I always forget that. I think when you're just like plodding away through a series, you can forget. But again, as ever, loving it. Yeah, it's a real turning point for Kim, I think, that moment, definitely. It gave me real anxiety. I was like, just stop. Do you just get a bath? <laughs> like, just... Please stop overworking. I wanted to mention a few other bits that are coming soon. There's So there's a show on Sky um, and Now TV. Uh, it's on Sky Sci-Fi, I think. She's coming out tomorrow on the day of recording, so it'll probably be already out by the time we air this. But Reginald the Vampire, if you like your vampire shows, Reginald lives a life of dreams deferred. One night he meets a stranger called Morris, who decides to help Reginald achieve what he wants. However... Reginald is killed by Morris's enemies, and the only way to save him is to make Reginald a vampire. I think it's kind of a a comedy vampire show. Vikings Valhalla, season two, which Damien will definitely be watching. That's out on Thursday, the 12th of January on Netflix. And also The Last of Us starts on the 16th of January. And this is the show that we are going to be covering on the podcast. So myself, Damien and Izzy are going to be joined by special guest co-host Bradley Crease. They recently confirmed that the first season of The Last of Us is based on the first game, the whole of that first game, and that season two will be based on the second game. And maybe that will be it. We don't know. Uh, They haven't confirmed whether there'll be more after that. We talked about it a lot already, but very much looking forward to watching that I've definitely I think it's being uh, promoted really hard which is great so as to the sort of uninitiated to the game it's essentially a sort of end of the world father and daughter survival story yeah post-apocalyptic survival story is essentially what we're looking at here Pedro Pascal Bella Ramsey uh, Murray Bartlett Nick Offerman good cast looks the trailers look brilliant really excited by the trailers which you're right I am seeing all over the place You know what, I'll watch it and I'll listen to the podcast. A little bit sad news, 1899 has been cancelled, which is a shame because it was a really good show and was definitely set up for a second season. So so that's not great news. Uh, There's a new trailer out for Foundation Season 2. Very excited about that coming back on Apple TV. And The Walking Dead, Dead City, um, they revealed there's going to be a time jump before that spin-off starts. So for those who were concerned about how Maggie and Negan were going to abandon a small child, that maybe that small child will be a bit more grown up by the time that show happens. Uh, And did I have one more? Uh, No, I think that's most of my news. Um, I will say that after we talked last week about our top 10 most listened to episodes, there has been some uh, more Line of Duty episodes listened to, but Happy Valley went straight in at number eight on our list. So thank you very much to everyone who listened to last week's episode. We hope you enjoy this one just as much and that you'll stick with us throughout this Happy Valley season. Absolutely. 
we'd love to have you. Grace, how can people contact us if they want to share their thoughts on Happy Valley? Yeah, you can find us on social media uh, at TVDNAPod or you can email us as well. We sometimes check that. It's TVDNAPod at gmail.com or you can type into that swanky search engine, Google or other ones are available. TVDNAPod and you'll find us. Yeah. Find us. Just... podcast. I would suggest if you're going to Google us. Uh, just pop the podcast in there as well. But yeah, do let us know what you what you think, what you're watching, anything else you want to share with us. Have you got a line to, to see us out, Grace? Have you prepared one? Yeah, I mean, you know, was there anything else? Because I've got a moderately interesting looking sandwich staring and it won't get out of the packaging itself. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Grace. See you next week. Bye. That was my line I was going to come in on. <laughs> I was sure you were going to go for one of the other ones. There's so many to pick from, right? But I was like, no, I'll go in on drug-addled piss artists. <laughs> <laughs> what about the dickhead one? Why didn't you go for that? That was my second choice, but I couldn't find it fast enough. Do you want to go again and I'll do the dickhead one? Yeah, I don't know where to go next. Because <laughs> <laughs> he asks, what will he do if she goes to the Him- 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 Himalayas? Sorry? I said the Himalayas. Let's cover the sort of... Um, what do we call it? The, what's the word for when you follow someone? Stalking? <laughs> what's the word I was thinking of? But anyway, pursuit. So, yeah, go with pursuit.